0: Cole cabanas on AEW Unrestricted. I've always been a person who impresses people over time. Like that's always been my theory. I'm always a slow burn.
1: That should have been my name, Slow Burn Cole Cabana.
2: So join me and Tony Schiavone for AEW Unrestricted, powered by State Farm. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: This is Alfonso Davies, and you're listening to BR
2: Football Ranks.
1: Hello and welcome to Be Our Football Ranks, your favourite football podcast and the season is over. Long live the season. We have finally got to the end of the 2019-20 season and meanwhile the 2020-2021 season has already begun and That is the new nature of football. My name is Jack Collins and I am joined by Mr. Sam Tai. How are you, my friend?
0: Mate, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, Good to have a three-hour recharge between the two seasons. So um, I'm back at it. I'm ready. I'm feeling energetic. Uh, Let's attack the new one. This um, This is crazy, isn't it? I mean, Rangers played against Leverkusen, didn't they? And they played one game from last season in Europa League. And they'd already played in the Scottish Premiership to kick off the new season. So... This schedule is seriously muddled as are all of our brains, but we'll do our best to keep abreast of it and keep you guys updated and keep you guys sane uh, and salient through this whole process if we can. Yeah, well we're going to kick off by talking about
1: the Champions League and the Europa League finals a little bit, but we're also today going to throw things forward and we're looking at five teams we're really excited about for next season and we're going to be joined by Zach Lowy
0: for that and someone we've been trying to get on the pod for a little while, very excited about it. Yeah, very much so. Uh, I talk to Zach probably weekly at this stage about all sorts of different things. I mean, I think he might actually watch more football than me. Um, which is remarkable, to be honest with you, the amount of time I sink into, into the footage. He speaks about 150,000 languages. Uh, he's very knowledgeable. Uh, I consider him a real peer and an equal, so I'm excited to get his thoughts on some teams that we can be excited about moving into this season. But before we do that, we need to talk about that game of football that happened on Sunday. Yes, we do. And we'll start with the Champions League and give it its due. And first
1: of all, and first and foremost, I have to say congratulations because you did call this back in March. Bayern
0: Munich, champions of Europe. I thought you were going to congratulate Bayern Munich. No. Uh, that would be that would be the right thing to do. But uh, yeah, we did we did our, our our Champions League simulation pod, didn't we? In March, when when the coronavirus hit, and we weren't really sure if um if the Champions League would continue. Actually, no, that's not right. Officially. Gianni Infantino emailed you, didn't he? Yeah, and he asked did. you he to, asked us to, to do decide it just what in happened. case. Sorry. just no, in forget, case. Forget what I said about simulation. This was this was. We got the email from UEFA, um, and yeah, we said we said Bayern are the best team in the world uh, back in March, and they they've very much proved to be so. To be honest, even if they'd have lost the final, I still would have stuck by that. Uh, but it's always pleasing, for me, it's always pleasing to see the best team win the Champions League. It, it feels right. It feels proper that the you know the, the, the best team are bestowed with that historic treble tag, that they do the business and they are remembered as a great team. Like we referenced Mourinho's insert in 2010, Heinker's Bayern in 2013, Barcelona in 2015 uh, under Luis Enrique. The great teams, they stick in your memory and the treble helps cement that. And this Bayern team are worth remembering because they are a remarkable outfit. So I'm just really glad that they got what they deserved. And, you know, the storylines through the season, Manuel Neuer coming back to form, Thomas Muller re-sparking, Uh, Leon Goretzka finding a role, uh, David Alaba switching to centre-back, Alfonso Davies, member of the ranked squad, blossoming into the world's best left-back, perhaps Andy Robertson might have something to say about that. All over, there have been amazing stories. And it wasn't that convincing in the final. It was tight, it was edgy, it was very testy at times, and it was a bit up and down, a bit end-to-end in in areas that I really didn't think it should be. Bayern did not do a very good job of shutting that game down, but they edged it, as they always do. They've just got that... A little bit of something, haven't they? That winning essence that just gets them through those stages. And they win the Champions League. Congrats. Yeah, absolutely.
1: I I thought it was quite a good game. You know, and I was on radio beforehand talking about it. And I said, I think it's going to be cagey than people expect. I was, I did expect there to be more goals than there was. I will be, you know, the first to admit that. And perhaps there should have been more goals than there was with the amount of chances that kind of went begging uh, at both ends, really. But... It was a very entertaining game of football and you often don't say that about low scoring affairs but this was it was very enjoyable.
0: I mean it was a final. Like I know that Lisbon had treated us very well up to that point in terms of um, entertainment and goals. You know we saw and we saw 8-2, 3-0 all that we saw all sorts of scorelines. It'd been great. And I know that the Europa League final doesn't really support this theory but like it's a Champions League final. You're going to lock up a little bit. Um performance is going to change. Certain players are going to react to that that environment and that stage, and certain players aren't. And I didn't think I'd be saying this, but Mbappe did not react in the way that we probably expected him to, given he's already won a World Cup. And it was his mischances in the first half, along with Neymar, that really set the tone for what I think is, is basically PSG waking up the next morning and going, we should have won that game. Like they, they they were the they had the clearer chances and they were probably arguably the better side, particularly Ooh. through the first forty-five minutes.
1: Okay, yeah, maybe and, far until half time. I thought PSU yeah. would go for a second half.
0: No, I think I think I'd agree with that to be fair. The substitutions that Thomas Tuchel made took his took his team out of the game. He was chasing the game and they got worse and worse. But for the first forty-five, I got to half time, I thought. Wow, PSG should be ahead in this game. And the first goal in the final, so crucial, right? So important. It's going to set the tone for what happens. And PSG blew their chance there a little bit, I think.
1: Yeah, let's talk about the man who scored that goal, Kingsley Coman. And I know this is a trope that we come back to occasionally, and one of your favourite axes to grind in football. But a PSG youth product coming back to haunt the team that let him go as a youngster. I mean... It's not the why, well, it probably won't be the last time. Let, let's put it that way. And and the fact that it is these players who, you know, were able, who, who came off, came into that game, maybe a little bit of surprise. Perisic had been playing well. And, and the way that he reacted and, and really, you know, had Tilo Kera on toast for most of that second half, and the fact that it was Komen, I think just supports this theory that imagine if PSG had had <laughs> and Kunku had had. Komen had had Moussa Diaby to take off the bench. And yet, what they did bring off the bench was so ineffective.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think think so. With Komen, I find it a little bit hard to really dig into PSG on this one. Because, as as you know, I do like to do that. uh, And I've alienated a lot of PSG fans over the last year in doing so. But it's a point that bears repeating. Like, they do screw up in this area. Komen did actively seek a move away from PSG. So I'm not going to full-on hold that against them. But the point remains is that as PSG are chasing that game... And obviously, them not bringing on Icardi is something that will baffle me for the rest of time. And you know I'm not the biggest Icardi fan, right? But if you're creating the chances, but you're just lacking that finishing touch, what about the guy who only finishes and does nothing else? Turn to him. I got to the 55th minute and I went, Icardi should be on now. Got to the 65th minute, I thought, how? Is Icardi not on this pitch? And we never saw his face. But apart from that, like the lack of depth that PSG had outside of that just ignoring Akadi was pretty striking. I mean, they can't bring on the calibre of player that Bayern Munich are bringing on. They don't have the depth. And you saw Draxler on for Herrera and that wasn't a good sub. Verratti didn't look sharp and didn't look ready to play. That wasn't a good sub, I don't think. And Tuchel's hands, Tuchel's subs weren't good, but they were, they were tied a little bit. And it comes back to the point that you just made. Imagine if they'd have just had all of their youth products that they could bring on, like the impact that Diaby or Nkunku could make. Diaby is not that dissimilar to Kingsley Coman as a player. And he has the same electric ability, that explosivity, genuine width, good crosser, all these things. Like, they they... You look back on some of these decisions they've made and basically I said last summer that PSG were one of the losers of the transfer window because they sold in Kunku and Diaby for too little money. And I don't think I ended up being proved right overall because Icardi worked out. Navas was great. Idrissa was great. I think I was wrong there. But the the, the thing I cottoned onto there was you're wasting your resources again. And that, I think, has genuinely come back to haunt them. They've got so much money tied up in 11 players. They don't have the backing and the resources off the bench that someone like Bayern Munich does to really change the course of a game when they need to. Uh,
1: the interesting one for me was was when Chuba Moting came on ahead of Akadi. And look, I know what he provided in in the quarters was was impressive and important. But, you know, you come on to the final and it almost felt like Thomas Tuchel was like, hmm, I wonder what Twitter will think. And then, <laughs> Twitter will love it if I bring on Chuba Moting. And the fact that he left Akadi on the bench, one of the, you know, Deadliest strikers in the world in his day. And look, Icardi didn't have a good game in that quarterfinal. He went missing and then didn't play in the semi. So it is one of those things where you kind of feel it was a weird decision from Tuco and one that was maybe based on a little more kind of passion than, than actually him sitting back and making a calculated decision about who the better player to bring on was. Because if you had a chance falling to either Acardi or Chupa Moting in the last two minutes of a Champions League final, you want it to be a 100% of the time.
0: 100% of the time. And that sort of chance did kind of fall to Tupac I don't really know what happened there. Maybe it was just beyond him, but it did feel like he only had to flick a foot at it um, in order to direct that towards goal. And we could be, could be talking about a completely different story here. And you definitely just get the impression that Icardi, you know, for all of his faults in build-up play and the fact that he doesn't really work for the team, he's a killer. And you know he's getting his toe on the end of that he's not doing a lot else but he's doing the one job that he would be brought on to do in that scenario so again it baffled me I don't think I'll ever understand it I'll be telling my grandkids about that one it's a
1: a strange one well let's move on to the other final that happened this week and in terms of pure entertainment value uh, this one had absolutely and utterly every
0: yeah, it did. I mean this this entire game is just encapsulated. Like the Europa League has just been chaos full stop, right? Um but it Diego Carlos, Diego Carlos's performance through the knockout stages in Lisbon is just it's just remarkable. Diego Carlos for the record had a fine season in La liga. He was one of the best center backs in the division. He was fringe team of the season, very, very solid and a very good severe side. In Lisbon, I don't know if there was like a body swap. Or like a like a Freaky Friday situation, or something like that. I don't, I don't know what happened, but he gave away a penalty in every single game, quarters, semis, and final. And really, probably should have been sent off in the final for raking the back of uh, Lukaku's Achilles. It's a terrible not, challenge. It was a like an awful challenge, shocking challenge. And he got very lucky to stay on the pitch, and then goes and scores a deflected overhead kick that goes in off Lukaku. The aggrieved in the situation to win the title for Sevilla. I mean, it's just, that's just, it's just pure Europa League, isn't it? It's just it's unfiltered, purely distilled Europa League. That is, what, that is what that competition is all about. And I love Carlos. I love him a little bit less after what I saw in Lisbon. Um, I was starting to wonder if maybe he's a bit erratic for the big move that I was maybe on the verge of pimping him for. But uh, it came up good in the end. But my God, how did he get away with that? I don't know. I mean I don't know how was still on the pitch to begin with. But it just a really
1: good game all round. And and the way that it opened up, I was like, Well, Lukaku might have this on toast now because he's he's finished him. He's straight away, he's on a card, he's looking at, you know, getting in behind him every time and he didn't really know what he looked to do. It was one of those ones where you're like obviously you'll win this race if you just keep running and instead he tried to just come across him and Lukaku moved him out of the way quite easily and it was like, Okay, this isn't right and then that terrible challenge and obviously into go 1-0 up, and it looks like the game is kind of theirs for the taking. And they concede straight away with some absolutely horrible defending that you just don't think is going to come from a Conte side.
0: No, Conte side, a defensive line with Diego Godin in. Like, I don't really understand what's happening there. Luke de Jong is, is really only good at one thing, and that's heading the football. And... um yeah, he scored some headers, didn't he? I mean, fair enough. But you'd think that Inter could take care of that one strength of his, given the defensive line and the defensive setup they've got. I was really surprised, really surprised um, that Inter didn't rise to the occasion. And I, I, we've just talked about how they probably got well, got very unlucky with the Diego Carlos situation. But I still, I still thought that it was it was well within their reach that game for most of the game, and, and it didn't pull through. And Lukaku's been a real, been a, been a. A real problem for defences throughout the Europa League campaign and throughout the season, really, in all competitions. But again, there's always a couple of mischances for him. And, and there was one or two in the final as well, That one that you always wish he would put away. I guess if, if he put away all of those chances, he'd be on 100 goals a year, wouldn't he? So maybe it's, it's too much to ask of him. But that game felt like Inter's to lose, and they lost it, regardless of what happened with Diego Carlos. I was a little bit disappointed. I thought they had a stronger mentality than that, to be honest. Yeah, I mean... At the end of the day, Sevilla's competition, isn't it? And it
2: uh, yep.
1: pains me to say this as a best go, but I'm uh, going to say my one thing that I really loved this week, coming from a Sevillista, which is not something I expected, but Jesus Navas lifting that trophy and the way that it all played out, him, the emotion of the whole situation, I just think I'd like to highlight what went on there and, and, and the fact that Jesus Navas lifted his first two UEFA Cups as they were back then uh, with Sevilla back in, 05-06 and 06-07, I believe it was, uh, alongside uh, someone who came up through the academy with him, Antonio Puerta, um, who tragically died a couple of years later. And in this whole thing, Sevilla tried to retire his shirt number 16. You're not allowed by the Spanish law in, in football. that says you can't retire one of the, the main shirts. Um, and so what they did was they made the 16 shirt for Sevilla into a shirt that can only be worn by an academy graduate in Puerta's honor. And so when Jesus Navas went back to the club, he took the 16 shirt that was formerly his best friends. And after that, we will know about the tragic passing of Jose Antonio Reyes, who was the last Seville captain to lift the Europa League in the last year that they won it, or in, the, in that incredible period where they just basically won it every year. Against Liverpool. He didn't play in the final, but he lifted the trophy. And this sixth Europa League UEFA Cup title for Sevilla was lifted by Jesus Navas wearing his deceased friend's number on the back of his shirt, wearing an armband, a captain's armband that bears the name of both Puerta and Jose Antonio Reyes. And he was the last captain to, the first captain to lift it after Reyes had passed away. And the emotion that must have been at work for Jesus Navas there is absolutely incredible. And so from a narrative perspective and from a perspective of what an emotional rollercoaster he must have been going through for that entire game, never mind the celebrations afterwards, you know, you've got to hand it to him because also, I mean, what a player, what a servant he's been for the club. Uh, and just it comes across always as, as as a lovely geezer as well. So fair play to Jesus Navas, and that will be the last nice things you hear about Seville from me today.
0: <laughs> well, well spoken, Jack. Well said, I should say, and uh, very, very, very nice to hear that from a from a Betico. means it means the ultimate respect.
1: Yeah, as um, sometimes some things are are slightly bigger than. The, uh, the Derby in but there isn't much so let's, uh, <laughs> so let's leave it there right let's move on to our big topic which is going to be the five teams we're most excited to see in action in the 2020-2021 season there's so many 20s in the new season if you say it in full it, it almost seems like a, a tongue twister so um, after the break we're going to be joined by Mr Zach Lowing and we're going to get going on who you need to be excited to watch next year <laughs> For businesses around the world, today isn't a restart, it's a rethink, and that's why they're partnering with IBM. Retailers are keeping their systems up as millions of orders move online, call centres are using IBM Watson to manage an influx of customer questions with AI, and solutions built on the IBM cloud are helping doctors care for patients remotely. Today we're rethinking how business moves forward, so let's get to it. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com forward slash smart to learn more. Welcome back to be our football ranks where it is time for today's big ranking. And as you might've noticed, Dean Jones is not with us today. He's uh, tied up with some personal issues and a couple of transfer deals. We reckon he's got in the pipeline. So we've made our own last minute substitution and in comes Mr. Zach Lowy co-creator of breaking the lines, freelance journalist and all round legend of football, Twitter, Zach Thank you for being the Football Ranks. Welcome to the Rank Squad.
2: Thank you very much for the kind introduction. It's a pleasure to be on. Uh, really a long time coming and uh, hopefully the first of many appearances. Uh, super excited to be discussing this topic with you.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and Sam, I'm going to chuck it to you, and you can uh, set us off.
0: Yeah, first of all, a huge upgrade from Dean to Zach. Uh, Finally, we get all three of us are on the same level. Finally, Uh, so good conversation this week. It's teams that we are going to, we are feeling very excited about, or at least I'm excited about them because it's my list. So I'm going to start at number five, and you're going to accuse me of bias immediately because it worked for them. But this just means I'm more in tune with what's happening. I think Southampton are shaping up really nicely for the next season. So post-lockdown Premier League table, they were third with 18 points from nine games. They really found their groove under Ralph Hasenhuttle. Way too many mentions of the old 9-0 from Leicester. So that's the last time we talk about it there. We talk about, let's move forward. Let's look forward. Let's look at how good they look, how well they press, how attuned they are as a team, how energetic and sharp they are. Danny Ings is clearly going to win the Ballon d'Or if it comes back, not Robert Lewandowski, and the fact that they started the summer with two really good signings. Not a lot of clubs in the Premier League have done that much business, and Southampton have secured Carl Walker-Peters, who was amazing, amazing post-lockdown, and they've managed to pick up Mohamed Salahsu, who... I think after about maybe six months of bedding in will be a superb left-sided, left-footed centre-back, the thing that everybody's always looking for. Then you add in the fact that Shea Adams hit goal-scoring form at the end of the season, finally. Uh, Moussa is going to come back from injury, and I think he's going to have a major part to play because he's really, really good. And I'm honestly at the point where I think two more signings, two more signings, and they, they could genuinely throw their hat into the ring for that Europa League chase. I really feel like they're on a super upward trajectory. Who do you, who are those two signings? Who do they need? Well, what do they need? I, I don't know exactly so who they are, so but so uh, yeah, I think I think maybe a centre mid would be nice. I mean, looks like Harrison Reed's going to end up at, at Fulham, so they're going to need to buy somebody in that area. They actually managed to move past Hoybier really nicely post lockdown. They, they they plugged Romeo in next to James ward Price. They didn't really skip a beat. I'm not saying he won't be missed because he's a good character and Tottenham have picked up a good player, but he's not like he's not an essential piece. So I think a centre mid would be quite nice. And I still feel like, I think in my mind, if they signed Pats and Dacca from Salzburg or a, like a more potent proven goal scorer to play next to Ings or to rotate in, I think they'd be a real force. So I think those are the two positions I'd look. Although some people may suggest maybe a goalkeeper. Um, Zach, I saw you did a, a, a Twitter thread or, or your company did on, on on Southampton's goalkeeping situation. It's not perfect. I just don't think they have the funds to deal with that right now, but they do, they do have the funds, I think, for two more players. I'd go striker and centre mid.
2: Yeah, I, I completely agree, and I would really like to see uh, Weston McKenney been linked ah, as an option, uh, yeah. join as as the Hodgeburg replacement. Not quite the same player, but I think he would just fit in so well in in that system in Hasan Hutel's uh, high pressing system. Uh, but no, as as you mentioned, Kyle Walker Peters, solid addition. Great work to include him in the Hodgeburg swap deal uh he's an upgrade over Jan Valery and a good replacement for Cedric um and of our, and of course Mohamed Salisu I actually did a podcast uh focusing on this Lisu signing for a Southampton uh site a, a month ago been a huge fan of his since I think September October just really been seamlessly uh fitting into that by, by the lead team and I'm so glad he made this signing as opposed to going to uh, you'll have to excuse me, but a higher tier side like Manchester United. I think this is the perfect stepping stone move that his talent requires, and I think that he, you know, it, it's just the right move for him to develop. Uh, really excited to see how he does, and I think he'll be a, a massive bargain for so a See, see,
0: Salisu is is like it's 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 crazy because we're used to like seeing like seventeen, eighteen-year-old, nineteen-year-olds plugged into yeah. first-team play immediately. Now we see Mason Greenwood, Bukayo Saka, all these players put in. Salisu. Has barely played any football at the senior level. Like he's come yeah. over from an African academy, he's settled in at Spain. He's thrust into the first team this season. He basically has thirty senior games under his belt, and that's it. So he needed to go somewhere that he would be afforded time to settle without too much pressure, because it's a lot to put on the guy. And for twelve million, like what's twelve million nowadays? Like it's nothing, is it really? Which sounds ridiculous, but it's 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 a it's a it's a low level fee. So you you do get to be to develop without any of that pressure. I uh, do yeah, I just think overall, like with McKenney's probably the same. McKenney's probably not ready for uh to go and start for Spurs. He's a great player, but a Southampton level move to play would be fantastic for him, I think. Especially with a manager like Hassenhool. But you can be really confident in saying that would work really well for them. But uh, we talked about players that they haven't signed yet. We're excited about the ones that they have signed and the upward trajectory. Like to finish third in that post-lockdown table only behind the Manchester clubs was sensational. I think they're on the right track and I'm excited to watch where it goes. Okay, Sam, who have you got in a four? So I've gone for Ren Stade Rene, uh, moving over to France. Now we know this is a good side, obviously, like finished third in League 1 last season. They've qualified for the Champions League. So we're going to have really easy access to Ren at the top level and I'm pretty excited to see it because they've got quite a few players that I just really like and they're of that kind of age where they're, you know, teenagers or early 20s that they should pique your interest because if you're a fan of Chelsea, United, Real Madrid, Barcelona, whoever it is, you should be looking at Ren to see, oh, quite like him. Oh, he looks good as well. And obviously the poster boy for this is Eduardo Cavavinga who is still 17, just gets better and better. Watching him off the bench at the weekend against Lille in the league opener. I mean, he's he's got, in the space of a year, we've been singing his praises on this podcast for a year, haven't we, Jack? But in yeah. the space of a year, he's added so much to his game from a technical standpoint. So, yeah, he's a ball hoover. Yeah, he covers loads of ground and he's physical for his age, but he's throwing in sort of stepovers and feints and shoulder drops. And he's so smooth now, turning the corner on the ball. And he misplaced a couple passes out to the left flank that another player like fetu Moasa, left back, um, kind of had a go at him for. But I really liked that as well, because there's two young players just trying to be the best that they can be. And Moassa, Kamavinga, and they signed Martin Terrier for Lyon this season. I love this signing. Martin like, Terrier for time. 10 million euros or whatever. what are Lyon doing? I, I don't really understand. And they've let go of Amin Gawiri as well. I mean, I appreciate listeners are probably thinking, right, who the hell are these guys? But proper... Guiri, proper star for the French under-20 side, a real striking talent. Lyon are so good at recognising what they have. And you look at Aloua and you look at Kakare and you're like, they know what they've got at their disposal. They've dumped a couple of players here that I think they'll probably end up regretting. And one of them has gone to Rennes. And this is a really, I think, a really exciting side. And the goalkeeper's good. Uh, Mendy, the, the forward, Neong. My God, Neong's changed, hasn't he? Here we talk about Patrick Schick and how he developed into like a 6'4 target man over the course of two years when actually he used to be a tricky winger. And by Leong, do you remember when he played for Milan and he was like a speedy winger? He's now like he's a bullish, strong centre-forward, a proper number nine, a hold-up player. He looks more like Harry Kane than, 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 than a winger that, 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 that he used to be. It's amazing how players change. But Wren as a project, I'm bought into. Uh, they're not going to survive the season with all these players on their ranks but take a look at them because you might you might see something you quite like. We it feels a bit like we're looking Zach, at, you know
1: what we were looking at with Leon 2 years ago when you were looking at the team they were putting together and you know we've seen them move on the likes of Ferran Mendy and 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 Dombélé, and we were thinking one day we're going to look back at this side and think, wow, they all played together. That's mad. And it feels a bit like this with some of this Ren team.
2: Really excited about this Ren team, as you said. We actually just released an article on Breaking Lines about this team. Uh, they did quite well to keep hold of Kamavinga and Hamari Traore and Nyang and players that were expected to uh, leave. Uh, I think they have enough in their squad to push for a Champions League spot again, as well as make a, potentially an underdog run in, in the Champions League. Uh, I, I think that they could do with another centre-back. I think they were actually linked with Mohamed Salisu and Axel Disasi. didn't get either of them. But I think that uh, with Thiago Silva potentially joining Chelsea, there's a chance that they get Fikayo Tomori on loan, which I think would be a, a win-win for, for both clubs as well as the player. Uh, so definitely one team to keep an eye on, and I'm, I'm super excited to see them.
1: Yeah, I mean, Sam, for people who are, I suppose, less... You know, aware of this project for those who ha- haven't seen what Ren brought they'll have seen wow they managed to finish third in in Liga. it might be worth just breaking down what they're about how they play
0: stylistically what goes on at Ren well I mean so Ren have been at this for a little while um and they do tend to recycle talent quite nicely because Ismail Assar came from Ren right and they put they play they play in your faces they play attacking football um and honestly, by the end of the game against Lille on, on, on the weekend, they were they were at their throats and they were they were going to 10 more minutes and they'd have won that game. They're a serious contender. So they'll excite you. And there's an awful lot of players in there that you should be looking at and thinking, well, he's a star. He's a star. He's a future star. Oh, maybe I'll take him for my club as well. So in the Champions League, you've got the opportunities to watch this team. I think you should take it. I'll move on to number three. It's Arsenal. Can you believe it? We're excited about Arsenal. I mean...
1: It's always a first
0: time. <laughs> Arteta has them on a really good track, clearly. Uh, finishing the season with the FA Cup win was was fantastic for them. And I think it was validation for a, a a serious corner turned. And I can't believe I'm about to say this. But I think Arsenal might have put themselves together a bit of a back line here. I think the defensive core is like a legitimate group of individuals who can defend. Am I My wider the mark this is this the first time this has happened in about eight years? <laughs> Feels right. Feels right. I mean William Saliba is one of the best under-21 defenders in the world. He's absolutely wowed me when I checked in on him. He's got pretty much every attribute. And they need to be careful that they don't just throw him into, a, into too much too soon. And they need to lead him along nicely. But the potential there is incredible. Kieran Tierney, who we talk about every week, is awesome. Saka can play left-back. He's awesome. And if they end up, up signing Gabriel from Lille as well, who pretty much every major team in Europe has been linked to. But if they end up getting Gabriel over the line, which
1: looks put, like it they, could happen today. For it, it what it's could worth, could easily
0: happen by the time this, this 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 goes out. They've put together a defensive line. It's just shocking to me. It's not the Arsenal I know, but it is an Arsenal that I can love. Yeah, absolutely, Zach. How hot are you on Arsenal this year?
2: I mean, as you said, the defense for the first time in in as long as I can remember, honestly. Uh, it looks really stable. Um, I mean, it's one thing to bring in quality defenders like Tierney and Gabriel and Saliba. It's another thing to actually have a manager who knows how to organize a backline. I think that Mikel Arteta has shown that he can do that, uh, even with key players being uh, even with key players missing, uh, such as Saliba, who was back at San Etienne past season. I think that with better players at his disposal, like Saliba. Uh, like Gabriel, like Pablo Mari, when he, when he returns from his injury, I think that this team's defense is going to go up another level. Um, and it, it's a really exciting uh, moment for them. And, you know, as, as you say, uh, you know, defense wins championships. So I, I don't think that Arsenal are winning the title anytime soon, but that is, the, that is something that they can build on. Uh, when it comes to addressing the the other uh parts of the squad.
0: I mean add add this to the fact that they that if they keep a bameyang, they've got a Bamiyang Lacazette and Nicola Pepe, like as as the forward three with Probably one question mark in central midfield. I mean, they've got to get that Danny Sabayos deal over the line. Everything they can put into that, obviously. I mean, talk, they keep talking about spending 50 million on Thomas Partey, who we love. But if you can spend 50 million on Sabayos and Gabriel, that is obviously the best thing to do. They look like they're halfway there. They just need to complete that double transaction. And this is a team I can fully get on board with and back. Because not only is it offensively potent, as we said... Defensively, it's completely changed its face.
1: Zach, I'd just like to get your thoughts on on what Sam said there about centre midfield. Now, every Arsenal fan under the sun... It, it keeps screaming about Thomas Partey. And we've talked about this and he's potentially not the player that Arsenal fans actually think he is in that he's not you know, the pure six that perhaps Arsenal have been after forever. But do you think they need another addition in there? It does feel a little bit like no matter which way Arteta goes with this formation, whether he does go through at the back, whether he does you know transition that eventually back into a 4-3-3, that there might be more bodies needed, especially seeing that he doesn't seem to trust Lucas Torreira. And that Mateo Genduzi seems to be on his way out.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think they do need another addition. Uh, but as as Sam mentioned, I think if if given the choice between Tomas uh, for fifty million and uh, Gabriel and and Ceballos for fifty million, Tomas is is the better player. But I would probably uh, get take Gabriel and Ceballos. Um, I think that Ceballos is is a great fit for in terms of being a Gwenduzi replacement. In terms of a player who uh, who, who can progress the ball neatly from the first phase and, and also doesn't shy on the defensive end. Uh, I think that it makes a lot of sense given Wendouzi's falling out with Arteta. Uh, that being said, I do think they are missing a bit of dynamism going forward. Uh, I think that Aaron Ramsey's departure has definitely hurt them a lot. Uh, even Alex Iwobi's departure in terms of losing that creativity. So I don't think that Ceballos is that kind of player to to exploit the final third. I think that they need somebody uh, to to fill that role. It remains to be seen if if, if Emile Smith-Rowe uh, can be that player for them. Um, he, he, did, he did show signs of, of that at Huddersfield Town, but Arsenal is is a completely different uh, story. So, you know, it remains to be seen. I do think that I'm not sure they can afford somebody like Husam Eowar this summer. But, you know, with Ozil's contract running out next summer, I definitely think that uh, if, if Throw if can't make that step up, then that's definitely going to be a, a, probably the number one priority for, for 2021.
0: It's a tough one. They're, they're, they're trying to maneuver. They're doing the best they can. I think, I think they're nailing it, though. The balance so far is they've done, they've done some good stuff.
2: One thing that we haven't even talked about is their goalkeeper situation. I mean, how many, more te- how many teams wouldn't trade their situation for Arsenal? I mean, Emiliano yeah. Martinez and Bernd Lendo I mean comparing that to you know likes of Alumnia and Szeck in previous years it's just what is happening at Arsenal right now
0: you know we talked about it on one of our live commentaries but Emi Martinez is like he'd he'd start for like 14 Premier League clubs probably as the starting goalkeeper or something like that I mean they just they just yeah they just kill they kill for a, a player like that and they've got him as a number two they've got a tough decision I mean I think, I think they'll go with Leno, and I think they should. But Emi Martinez, at this point, for the first time probably in his career, is probably thinking, I deserve to be a starting Premier League goalkeeper. Yep. And I might, I might have to do something about that. But we'll see. We'll see. Talking of number two, Sam, who's next on the list? Number two, nice segue, Jack. Very proud of you. You're getting good at this, aren't you? Um, I'm going to get into Milan on the proviso that Antonio Conte does not spontaneously combust on the street next week <laughs> because it does kind of look like that's what's going to happen at this point. He is perennially angry and upset at everything and everyone around him, despite the fact that I think he's been given pretty much everything he's ever asked for Inter Milan. Um, and I know they lost the Europa League final, but a point off Juventus in the Serie A chase this year, I think for the first time in nine years, I'm going to back another team to win the Scudetto and it's going to be Inter um, as long as Conte stays. I think what they've built for him is incredible. The rise of Alessandro Bastoni at the back through into midfield the, where Sensi will come back. Look at how good Nicola Barella has become. He's become like this Arturo Vidal, new Arturo Vidal style player for, for Conte. If he keeps Lautaro and Lukaku together, amazing. He's got Hakimi coming in as right wing back. I mean, that is just a match made in heaven. That's my favourite transfer of the summer. I don't care what happens elsewhere. So all of this, all of this combined with Juventus obviously losing a step, the squad being a bit muddled, and that question mark over what exactly Andrea Pirlo is as a manager that no one can answer. I like Inter for the Scudetto this season, and you know Juventus might blow my socks off with a couple of deals coming in over the next few weeks, and. They might win their first preseason game 25-0 and I'd change everything I know or everything I say. But right now, Inter, I think the building blocks are there for a Scudetto win. And that makes me excited, not because I dislike Juve, because I don't, but I like it when another team wins the title for once. That'd be good, wouldn't it? Zach, it'd make a change.
2: Yeah, no, I think that Inter, uh, I mean, I ironically predicted them to win the Scudetto last season and it blew up in my face, but I think that... Obviously, the the key is if Conte stays. I can't believe that he's considering leaving just because this is a squad perfectly made for him. Uh, He's just got to take a deep breath and and deal with whatever's (laughs) going on behind the scenes, honestly. Because, you know, Allegri is a great coach, but this squad is a lot more suited to Conte's tactics than than Allegri. Um, But yeah, as you said, Sam, I think that Hakimi is one of the best signings of the European transfer window so far. We actually... I just released an article on the wingback's flaws, Inter's wingback flaws, and and why that was so fatal in big games for Inter. But with Hakimi in and and potentially uh, another left wingback, you know, Robin Gosens has been linked. I think that they have everything it takes to win the Scudetto. And, you know, there's no excuses for Conte uh, if they can get that deal over the line. Uh, Really excited to see how how this Inter team shapes up. I think that they've been linked also with uh, Sandro Tonali uh, as well as Marash Kumbula from Hellas Verona, so it's really shaping up to be a very exciting team. Uh, I know they've—I know there are rumors that Skriniar could leave, which I think would be a very bad move for them, just because uh, he's shown that he can—he can play very well in the back four. Uh, Conte may not be around forever, so they may be going back to a back four soon. Uh, and and above all, he's just a very promising young center back so I think that, that the priority needs to be keeping him as well as uh bringing in a left wing back and I I think they really have all that it takes to win the Scudetto I mean Juve are are a, a an ailing giant and I think that this is going to be the year uh that that inter break the hegemony
1: it does it feels like it's waiting to happen in the complete opposite way to the way the Bundesliga looks and you go yeah, no, no, no one's breaking that buy-in <laughs> dominance anytime soon. It certainly so yeah, feels like the the kind of structure is built to be to be broken this year, and we haven't even really touched massively on on Hakimi Zach, who is just delightful as a pickup,
2: and and the fit as well. I mean, playing at the right wing back spot uh, in a system that will mask his defensive deficiencies and exploit his his ability going forward, such a great fit. Uh, much better than if he had returned to Real Madrid, in my opinion. I think that uh, Hakimi's style of play is just made to perfection for that right wing back spot. Uh, and yeah, I, I think that he is probably the most, can, he can definitely be the most impactful, uh, influential signing of the transfer winner, just just in terms of what he provides that, you know, Kandreva or Victor Moses can't really uh, offer.
0: Zach, what did you make of the fee? Because I looked at 40 million and thought, That is so cheap. Like, even if you don't want him, if you're Real Madrid, you decide he's not for us, not a good fit, 40? Try 65 plus and we'll have a conversation for me.
2: I mean, you're looking at players such as Ben Shilwell, who, you know, with all due respect, uh, as as good of a player as he is, he doesn't provide anywhere near close to the attacking uh, efficiency that Hakimi provides. I thought that it was incredibly cheap for Real Madrid. I I felt that they would have been better off just loaning him back for another year waiting for the market to reset, to reset after COVID and, and selling him for, you know, 50, 55 million or so. For me, it's extremely cheap for a player who's so young and has proven that he can, he can do a job uh, in, in both the Champions League as well as the top European League. Uh, I honestly think that they sold him for, on, on the cheap. Uh, yeah. definitely.
0: Right, so the key to this is that Conte doesn't just like you know, do a Conte. <laughs> disappear. Uh, but as long as he's okay, as long as Conte finds his Zen and peace and does his morning meditation, stays on top of the demons, I think, in to, with the correct edition of, of Tonali and Gosens, definitely I put money on it. But even, even without those, I'm still fancying them for a Scudetto run. And that's why I'm excited about them. Yes, and indeed. Sam, they are an exceptionally exciting shout, which means that I'm kind of confused who you've gone for above them. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is is all down to the summer business, my guy. This is Chelsea in at number one. I mean, even non-Chelsea fans are excited about Chelsea. Even Fulham fans are excited about Chelsea, aren't they, Jack? Let's not take it too far, shall we? Let's not not make any grand sweeping statements just yet. (laughs) (laughs) All right, fine. Maybe you guys aren't. But outside of West London, everybody else is sort of quietly looking at them and going, oh my God, look at that. So Timo Werner in the door very quickly. Hakim Ziyech through the door even earlier. That was done back in like March. So there's two incredible attacking signings. By the time this goes out, Kai Havertz might be a Chelsea player. And that feels genuinely inevitable. As does Ben Chilwell, as does Thiago Silva, as does Malang Sarr. So while loads of other clubs in the Premier League have managed a total of zero signings so far and are counting their pennies, Chelsea are basically going to end the week with probably six new faces. And they've had Werner in nice and early. They've had Ziyech nice and early. Chilwell is obviously addressing a major problem at left back. He's maybe not worth the 50 million that they're going to end up paying for him, but he's a very good player and a huge upgrade on Alonso and Emerson. Thiago Silva is a good bit of experience for their, for their defensive line. Malang Sarr, I don't know what role he plays, but he's a good left-footed, left-sided centre-back. Havertz is an absolute genius. So is Ziyech, and Werner just scored 34 goals in a season. So you look at this and you think, all right, I'm in. Let's watch some Chelsea. And that's why I'm excited. Sometimes it just comes down to that. Like, I really want to watch Chelsea. And occasionally, you think a team's doing so well in the summer and the, the business is so good and you're so intrigued by them. You feel like you want to watch their preseason games. And like to want to watch a preseason game that isn't your own teams, that's a quite a strong feeling because preseason sucks, right? So if I want to watch Chelsea in preseason, they must be doing something to me, right? Yeah, I mean, that, that is it. I mean, Zach, are you as, as
1: excited as Sam seems to be?
2: Absolutely. I mean, I think if they can complete those deals, uh, such as Havertz and Chilwell, as well as bring in a goalkeeper, which, you know, they have uh, about over a month to to complete a deal for, I think that's a 10 out of 10 window for Chelsea. I mean, it's just incredible what we're seeing. Uh, And I think that, you know, it'll be be a tough ask for, for them to beat Liverpool and Manchester City to the Premier League title, just because so many young players, so many new players coming in, It's going to take a while for them to gel and click into that system. Uh, But I think that they should be aiming to challenge for the title. And um, one thing that they have uh, over Chelsea, over, I mean, over Manchester City and over Liverpool, in my opinion, is the attacking depth, especially if they can bring uh, in Kai Havertz from from Leverkusen, which seems like a done deal. Uh, Looking at those players that they can bring off the bench, Hakim Ziyech. Mason Mount, Calum uh, hudson Adoy, Christian Pulisic. It's going to be a selection uh, headache for Lampard, but it's going to be uh, one thing that I think could play in their favor as far as challenging and, and competing to win the title. Uh, just an overall incredible window. And, and the Thiago Silva signing on a free, man, that's, that's just getting greedy, I've got to say. Uh, I think that they will probably be... I'm not sure what will happen with Malang I think they'll be trying to sell him for a profit down the line. Uh, but you know if if they can bring in Thiago Silva on a one year deal and then and then sign you know Diopa Makano for 42 million euros next summer that's just you know Roman Abramovich is playing chess while others are playing checkers
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, it it does what, feel what, a bit what, like that what role do we think Kai Havertz is going to play for Chelsea like is he playing up front Is he replacing Tammy and is Werner off the left or is he playing behind Werner, who's up front? Like, I've been watching Chelsea fans try and figure this out on Twitter for the last week, mostly because they're trying to build their fantasy teams, right? And they don't know who's going to be rotated in and out. I mean, I don't play the game, but it doesn't seem like anybody is, fit, is an absolute certain to play right now, unless unless it's Havertz or Werner because of the fees. Even yeah. Ziyech, I don't think, is an automatic starter. Everyone's trying to fit these signings into an 11. I don't know how it works. I'm tempted to say we don't talk about it and we devote an hour to it in another podcast down the line. But this is something that is very much not clear. But that's part of my excitement. Because I'm like, I don't know how this shapes out. I don't know what Lampard is thinking. I don't know who he wants to play as the, the attacking four or three and who plays behind. How does this work tactically? And the fact that they haven't bought a goalkeeper yet is even more fun. Because yeah. it means they'll be conceding goals as well. Now, you can only be excited about that if you're not a Chelsea fan. But end-to-end games and the fact that Chelsea may have to outscore teams, that's exciting. I think there's something in the fact of, of what you said there is that Chelsea have
1: bought a load of what I like to call Swiss Army Knives. And they have they've bought loads of players that can play in multiple positions and play in multiple positions very very well. Kai Havertz is is maybe the the best example of this because you could play him anywhere across the front three or behind or arguably if you're absolutely on top of the game in the eight. Like you know you're really looking at a, a player who can play in five maybe six positions quite comfortably. Uh, You know, we spoke about Werner being able to play off the left through the middle. You're looking at Zietz, who can play off off either wing and in in the CAM in the 10, if you will. There's a load of players here that you've picked up if you're Chelsea. And you're looking at going, yeah, okay, we don't know quite how they fit yet, but that kind of works itself out. That shakes itself out over the course of the season. And the fact that players can can be versatile, can move around the pitch, It's conducive to the fact that it's a long season over many competitions and you pick up injuries. Inevitably, that's that's what happens. I think that in itself is a reason you look at this business and go, yeah, phenomenal business, but also to be excited because you're like, cool, this can shake out in so many different ways.
2: Yeah, I'm tempted to say that Kai Havertz will play at the center forward position uh, just because I don't think that Werner has really proved that he can play as a lone center forward I think there's definitely potential of him playing off the shoulder of Giroud or Abraham uh, but I think that Havertz, you know we saw how he how he operated in almost a false 9 role with with Kevin Boland out for for Leverkusen during the uh, the end of last season I think that he has a lot of potential to to operate there and, and bring others such as mount such as Pulisic, into attack Uh it's, it's just unbelievable what Lampard has at his disposable at its disposal as far as uh, attacking players goes.
0: I tell you what, just to finish this off, it really ramps the pressure on Lampard up because last season was a little bit of a free hit. He was able to bring in loads of young players. It was kind of like a rebuild. You had a transfer ban. Yeah, bring in Rhys James. Yeah, bring in Mason Mount. Yeah, bring in Tamori. No problem. That's your first year at the top level as manager. Don't worry. All right. Now you've got Havertz and Werner and Ziyech and Pulisic and all these players. Now you have to perform. So it changes changes Lampard's job as well. It changes the expectations around it. And I wonder what the knock-on effect of that youth infusion is going to be I would imagine not great for the academy graduates my prediction here because of the amount of talent they've acquired is that they are actually going to put a bit of a um a bit of a stopper in the neck of that and just basically like cut off supply from the youth youth academy for a year or so because they have so many players now that it just has to happen. But we'll have to see. But uh those are my top five. And Zach, I asked you to come with a couple of your own or, or two or three of your own. And Jack is um Jack's gonna decide if my top five is good enough <laughs> to keep yours out. <laughs> <laughs> and we might have to change it and add some of yours in. So uh please present your first case. Of a team that you are excited to see.
2: All right, so number three, we're going to go to the Côte d'Azur uh, with OGC Nice. Almost a year ago, uh, Ineos, led by the third richest man in, in Britain, Jim Ratcliffe, purchased Nice for 100 million euros. And after that, we saw uh, quite a few uh, transfers being done, in the final days of the market, such as Casper Dolberg from Ajax, mm-hmm. Stanley Nsoki, uh, Alexis Claude Maurice. So some of those signings didn't quite work out, but a lot of them did. And uh, in general, I think that Patrick Piera has a very nice uh, young spine that he can build on. Uh, Looking at some of the transfers, you've got Robson Bamboo coming in from uh, Atletico Paranensh, the same academy, that same team that built like Bruno Guimaraes and Renan Lodi. So it'll be interesting to see how he does. Started against uh, Len at the weekend, but came off after 30 minutes due to a hamstring injury. I think that might the signing that i'm most excited about well i have two but uh i'll say hassan kamara who i thought was one of the best left backs in europe last summer last last season uh and really cheap fee for for a player who can offer a lot in that left back position uh if they can get uh Yusuf atal back from injury and, and back to top form I think that'll be just absolutely vital for them, and I think they could have the the best full back pairing in in France if if he returns to top form. Uh, I think that that was one of their issues against Len, where I thought they were the worst, the the inferior side. Uh, they just didn't have enough width. But I think that Atal coming in uh, as an upgrade over or, over the new signing Jordan Lafumba, it'll be so massive in 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 striking that balance. Uh, the other signing that I'm I'm really excited about is Amin Bouyir, oh, yeah. who you know, we, we were talking about Martin Terrier a few minutes ago. Uh, another signing that, another another player uh, from, from Lyon, who I just don't know why they let him go for so cheap, especially with players such as Memphis Depay, Husem Awar, uh, Musa Dembele, potentially leaving this summer. Uh, it was really bizarre to me. And, and you know, Nice, the, really, they were the inferior side, I thought, against Lens at the weekend. But they won thanks to two incredible goals from Guayri. Uh, just quick thinking and, and great placement on on both goals. Uh, showed a lot of uh, good link-up play with uh, Kasper Dolberg. Um, I'm a bit concerned about the, the center-backs' positions, as I think that letting go of Christoph Heirel, who was really the only center-back who's in his prime, and letting him go to rest, it's a bit of a gamble, relying on Bamboo um, to, to make that step up. Also not convinced about Morgan Schneiderlin. You know, he was great at Southampton, but it's been... A while since since we've seen time. him play. Has, yeah. yeah,
0: and they've got Dante and, at the back still. Thirty six, still yeah. trucking on. Go on, Dante, my son. Love it. <laughs> I love the fact that he's still knocking around, still guiding the youngsters. I love it. All right, next one.
2: Right. So my next one is Hertha Berlin, who uh, another team that had uh, a a huge takeover last summer. I think it was the largest single day transaction in Bundesliga history from uh, Lars. Windhorst, Uh, so because of that, they have a lot more uh, uh, financial freedom, financial firepower. Uh, We saw last January bringing in a lot of uh, really interesting young players, such as Piatik, such as Mateus Cunha, Santiago Ascacibar, as well as Lucas Tussart, who's going to return from from Lyon. Uh, Very exciting team. Uh, They've also brought in Alexander Schwalo from Freiburg, as well as uh, Diva Sayo Sefwik, I'm pronouncing that wrong, but very exciting team, and uh, also really excited to see how 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 Bruno Labadia does yep. in charge. I think that Labadia, for the most part, has been a good a firefighter, if you will, a good crisis manager, but uh, a bit like Stefano Pioli um, in that he has failed to become like a, a long-term manager who can build a long-term project. Uh, so you know he he's done quite well since since replacing uh, Jurgen Klinsmann midway through the season, bringing in a lot of uh, veterans back into the fold, such as Ibasevich and Shkelbred. Uh, But a lot of those veterans are, are departing on free transfers, such as Ibasevich and uh, Schkelbred. So it'll be interesting to see how they, how they replace them. They, they have an Ibasevich replacement in Piatic, who, you know, if he can return to his, his Genoa form, I mean, that's, that's going to be a massive signing for them. Uh, also really excited to see how Mateus Cunha does. Um is great. I mean I don't know about I don't know if
0: Piontek is ever gonna get
2: back to his his old level, but I'm I don't know either.
0: I'm pretty sure that Cunha is the best player alive. I mean he is just (laughs) he's incredible, just so good to watch, man. Just such an amazing weaving, dribbling like superstar, like tall quick just like the whole package yeah. like we only got to see a little bit of him after joining from leipzig in january but what i saw was enough to make me fall in love with him and he's only 21 yeah. like kunia's potentially potentially a really really really
2: good forward moving forward and uh
0: to have got him to have got probably, him. probably the
2: best him. probably the best non-bayern player out of the restart honestly i mean he was just superb to watch uh so you know it's good. it's a pretty balanced team you've got darida probably starting at at the uh Central at the 10 position. Also some really interesting young talents such as Jordan Toruno-Riga, Javairo uh, uh Mittelstadt Arn Meyer. A lot of interesting players to watch. All right, who's number one Zach? Number one is uh, a drum roll. Um, <laughs> number one, I'm going with El Submarino Amarillo oh, <laughs> I
0: was gonna put them in mine But I'd shied away from it because I know everyone hates Unai Emery and I couldn't be asked for the (laughs) backlash. But you're bolder than me and I love it. Right, tell us why.
2: Man, like, you know, and I I understand the Emery criticism from his time at PSG and and Arsenal, but I think that Villarreal is just the right move that he needed. Um, Honestly, I was a bit surprised when they let go of Javi Calleja. I mean, taking them from a relegation fight all the way to a Europa League spot, uh... You know, I, I think that it, it left a, probably left a sour taste in some supporters' mouths. But uh, with that being said, I think that the Real leadership, you know, Fernando Roig and co., they believe that Villarreal's best shot of, of, of getting into the Champions League is winning the Europa League. And there's really nobody better than that, for if, if you're looking at, at winning the Europa League, than Unai Emery. Uh, and, I mean, they they just got a stacked squad, so many options Uh, in attack in midfield I think the one uh, question mark I have is is their center back depth because you know they have Pau Torres and Raul Albiol who which is good enough um, to get top four and to push in to make a deep push in the Europa League but you know with so many games with so much fixture congestion I'm just not sure if Albiol who's you know going to be 35 next week I'm not sure if his body's going to hold up uh, outside of that they, they have Ramiro Funes Mori coming back from the injury as well as uh, Sofian Chakla from the academy I, I think that if I were to make another signing I, I would definitely address that uh, their, their lack of depth in the centre back uh, position bit of a problem for Hertha as well um, but you know aside from that I mean they've brought in Takafu Sakubo who is just such love, a delightful love player this. yeah we love yeah, Kubo man such a delightful player and like I, I don't know where he's gonna play. I think he could play at the right wing spot. He could also play in the, you know, the diamond hole in, uh, in, in, in the four-two-three-one for Emery. Uh, you could see Emery potentially shift to a four-four-two and play him as a second striker. But it's just such a great fit, honestly. Uh, they've they're reportedly close to bringing in Jose Callejon, which would just be the. Just the cherry on top. Icing on the cake,
0: right? Yeah. I mean, watching Cuyahun not play in blue would be a bit weird for me. He's been... He's been at Napoli a long, long time, and I just—he's really just, he, he's just like, like with Mertens. Uh, yeah, it just feels like one of those old guard, but it's probably time. And I think Villarreal's a really yeah. nice spot. I think I think if he's playing on the right, I'm not sure Kubo gets on the right, but Kubo could right. easily get in as the ten or, or on the left hand side. Like its, or it's they it's, could it's,
2: go with Ibora in the ten and play direct, like they did before. Yeah. It's just a—it's just a wealth of options. And I mean, I think that looking at the options in attack, Ontiveros. Moy Gomez, Chuquese. I'm not sure what, what's going to happen with Chuquazi if he's going to seek a move abroad uh, or, or challenge for a first-team spot, but it's just such a stacked options. We might need to dedicate a full podcast <laughs> just to discussing the Perejo and Coquelin moves because... Yeah. Valencia, I mean,
1: because Valencia are a shambles, yeah, is, know, is what you're looking for
0: here, Zach.
1: But yeah, Valencia um, are yeah. the
0: public enemy number one of the ranked squad, don't worry, everybody but, already knows, we all but hate if them.
1: Villarreal are the biggest benefactors of that Valencia meltdown, then there's yeah. a lot to like about this squad, and you're absolutely right. It was already a squad that we liked a lot, I mean, they've lost, Zambo's gone back to Fulham, um, it doesn't <laughs> look like he's going to be permanent, given that they've brought in Coquelin and... Uh, which is great news for me um but uh (laughs) but apart from that this score's just such a like it's such a delight you look through it and you're like wow there's loads going on here and and i think that in itself is super enjoyable
0: and And, emery going back to spain where he can get his message across a little bit more cleanly and a little bit more effectively will probably do wonders for his reputation but uh, jack it's time for you to make the calls my friend yeah So I've decided that two of yours are coming in, Zach. Um,
1: (laughs) (laughs) We're replacing, we're going to replace Ren with Nice. But I'd say that very, very reluctantly because actually both of them are really exciting. And I'm quite, I just was quite convinced. And also just, I really like Casper Dolberg. And that was Mm -hmm. basically the, uh, that was the the casting vote. And uh, much as I love Southampton, Sam, uh, they're going to make a swift exit to be replaced Uh. by uh, Villarreal
0: at four <laughs> so so vr in at fourth and yeah, in at, at four and nice in at fifth um, i mean i can i can absolutely give you the vr one because i was pretty close to doing it myself um i won't sleep well tonight knowing that nice have made the list and ren, ren haven't but i'll deal with it in the way i can i mean i mean you, just
2: you know. coquelin and parejo for eight million is just it's i'm silly sorry business, but you, you have to include them you yeah, have yeah, to yeah. Include
0: absolute yeah. robbery robbery yeah. i don't know what valencia are doing but there you go uh, well, on that
1: note, um, we're going to wrap things up. And very much the first thing to do is to say thank you so much, to Zach Lowry. As you said at the very start, uh, the first appearance of what I will imagine will be Manny, a new member of the Rank Squad, making his debut. <laughs> but uh, he will be back for more. Zach, do you want to just tell the Rank Squad how they can follow you on social
2: Thank you so much uh, for the introduction and for having me on this podcast. Uh, you can follow me on Zach Lowy at Twitter, as well as uh, checking out BTLVid on Twitter and, and reading Breaking the Lines articles.
0: Perfect. Um, and all
1: there's left for me to do is say thank you very much to Sam Tai.
0: Yeah. Cheers, buddy. Well, not for the niece thing, but apart from that, (laughs) all good.
1: Um, I've been Jack Collins. I just want to end this podcast uh, with a thank you to two men who have helped the rank squad uh, a lot over the last years. And I just wanted to, to give them, you know, a little bit of shout out, a little bit of credit. Um, to Travis Rekker and to Ryan O'Leary. Travis has, all of the America tour last year was basically on the back of what Travis did for us. And he, he was a massive friend to the Rack Squad, you know, as we were getting started and as we were making things happen. And, and then Ryan, who without who, we wouldn't have had the interviews with Western McKenney, with Mary Dan with Ali Krieger and Ashton Harris, with David Hanko, with Bastian Schweinsteiger. He was absolutely crucial to all of that. And I think it would be wrong to, to not shout, shout him out today because, um, yeah he's been a huge friend to the rank squad and we're exceptionally grateful to him so thank you to brian thank you to travis thank you to sam thank you to zach i've been jack Collins. this
0: has been br football ranks and we'll see you next week rank squad take it easy